Thanks for listening to First Baptist Church of Conway. We pray that this message is both an encouragement and a challenge to you as you grow in faith in Jesus. We are happy to provide this resource to you, but as you know, this alone cannot meet the need we all have for fellowship and corporate worship. So we hope you'll be able to join us this Sunday at 10 a.m. Or if you're not in the area, give us a call and we'll do our best to help you find a good church to visit. For now, here is this week's message. I mean, after that time of worship, it's almost like I just need to say amen and dismiss us, huh? But I spent far too long working on this this week, so we're going to keep going another 45 minutes. So, amen. Thank you, Jessica. So this week, uh, like every other week, I had plenty going on in life, and, and last weekend specifically, last weekend, not this past, but last weekend, it was a weekend full of homework. It was a weekend um, helping our kids go over math and go over history, looking at reading reports, you know, having to get in and help them work through some things. And that all happened last weekend. And then on Monday specifically, well, Jessica had some things going on, some things she had to take care of. So then again, on Monday, I had to help with math homework. On Monday, I mean, I can handle first, second grade math okay. I mean, it's getting a little bit above, right? But I was helping Troy in fifth grade. So anyways, I was dealing with math and I was looking at test reviews. I was looking over quizzes. And then I had to take my kids to soccer practice that night. And I didn't want to do any of it. And I started whining. Don't lie, guys. You do it sometimes. I just started whining. I mean, this is the stuff Jessica's good at. These are her kids right? Why do I need to be involved like this? I mean, we have three kids. She's super mom. I just wanted to relax, watch some YouTube videos and kick back. So I started verbally whining, just whining and complaining like all husbands do when their wives are busy and we get a glimpse of their life and things that they do all the time. And it really is amazing on how incapable men are, well, at least this guy, when the wives are busy and things like that. So I, listen, here's the deal. I started whining, but I did it anyways. And I bring all of that up, just to be honest and transparent about my whining abilities and give you permission to whine today. Because I know Paul says, do everything without grumbling or complaining. He doesn't say do everything without whining. He should have said that word if that's what he meant, right? He didn't, he didn't bring that up. So I give you permission to whine as you think through, because this is going to be radically difficult for all of us to apply, as you think through actually how to apply what we're going to learn today. I'm going to go ahead and give you the bottom line up front today, the big idea we're going to be thinking about. So if you fall asleep, you can still have a conversation at lunch, okay? Here's what it is. You are the most like Jesus. Don't worry, it's nice and wordy for you. You are the most like Jesus when you are wronged and do not seek retaliation nor retribution, but choose to what? Forgive. That's a simple idea, but it's not easy to actually do is it? Let's just jump right in. Remember last week we learned about church discipline, not something that we ever want to do, but something we need to be well aware of if we ever have to do it as a body of believers. He ended with this thought. Well, we stopped at this thought last week, 1 Corinthians 5, 12 through 13. 
He said, it isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders. And that's what most of us want to do. He says, quit that. But it certainly is your responsibility to judge those inside the church who are sinning. He says, God will judge those the outside. But as the scripture says, you must remove the evil person from among you. And now this idea launches him into the next problem with the church, but this time he's not talking about judging people's sins. He's talking about the church being able to judge their legal disputes. See, 1 Corinthians 5 through chapter 11 are like the hidden chapters of the book. No preacher actually wants to preach through any of this stuff because it's radically difficult. So we're just going to uncover it and go along with it. Alan's going to get some time here soon when I really don't want to talk about something. But look what he says next, this idea of judge in 1 Corinthians 6.1. He says, when one of you has a dispute with another believer, they're like, okay, it happens. How dare you file a lawsuit and ask a secular court to decide the matter instead of taking it to other believers? Now, the qualifier I do want to make with this whole thing we're going to talk about, um, in light of what Paul says about the government in, in Romans chapter 13, to, that the Romans set in place to punish those who do wrong, we can safely say that Paul is talking about civil matters here, not criminal matters. And we, we just need to understand that. Taking criminal matters to the authorities is the right thing to do. For instance, recently it's came to light about some things that the domination was hiding and protecting people who've done horrible things. And listen, that's not okay. That's not a biblical thing. Uh, criminal matters and things like that need to be taken to the courts. What he's going on and what he's fussing at them about is civil matters. People suing each other, other Christians, over material matters. And Paul clearly has a problem with this. He says, how dare you take it to secular courts instead of taking it to the church, instead of taking it to other believers and let them just judging the case. We're like, wait, other believers are supposed to judge my case? Paul's like, yeah, here we go. He says, don't you realize, verse two, don't you realize that someday we believers will judge the world? And since you are going to judge the world, can't you decide even these little things among yourselves? See, Paul gets this idea from several Old Testament uh, passages, one like Daniel 7, that says the holy ones of the Most High are going to sit in, in authority over the world. And so in light of the fact that as believers, we're going to sit over, we're going to judge the world, whatever that looks like. It's whatever we deal with in today's world will be little. I mean, minor compared to what is coming for God's people. You see, God, uh, excuse me, Paul's vision for the church is far greater than we can imagine. He wants us to live in light of our God-given calling as God's people. And he says, doesn't the church have somebody wise enough who can get involved and help you in these matters? And this is challenging, of course, because that involves us as God's people coming together with God's people and getting involved in each other's lives and getting involved in the messiness of life. You see, the church is far greater than something we just come to on Sunday mornings. 
The idea is the church is relying upon each other, carrying each other's burdens, and relying upon people with expertise and abilities and wisdom to help their brothers and sisters in Christ navigate this crazy world. So he says in verse 3, don't you realize that we will judge angels? We're like, No, Paul, I didn't know that. Can you expound? Evidently, he can't. He says, so you should surely be able to resolve ordinary disputes in this life. So listen, I'm just throwing that out there. Evidently, according to Paul, we're going to judge angels. Scott is about to finish his master's degree. He would love to answer this question for you and get into the details. So please ask him away. We want to give him more pastoral responsibility. We're doing it for his benefit. So please email him, talk to him. He'd love to talk to you about that. Okay. So in light of that, well, let Scott handle that. But he says, in light of the fact you're going to sit over angels, can't you figure out these ordinary disputes? He explains why. He says, look, Verse four, he says, if you have legal disputes about such matters, why go to outside judges who are not respected by the church? He really just has no respect for these magistrates going on here. He says, I am saying this to shame you. Like, Paul, your intention is to try to shame us? He's like, yes. I say this to shame you. Isn't there anyone at all in the church who's wise enough to decide these issues? He's saying, listen, Why are you going to people who don't share your same values, your same set of beliefs? Why are you going to them and ask them to get involved in your lives? Remember the first couple of weeks in Corinthians, I mean, we had to dive through some deep stuff and we learned all about worldly wisdom versus godly wisdom, right? And what Paul's saying is, why are you going to people who don't believe or value the same things you do and asking them to get involved? We've talked about it before. You can be legally right, but spiritually wrong. Our morals and ethics are rooted in Jesus Christ, not just what the law or the culture says. And so Paul's like, listen, how can you go to these people? How can you ask them? You see, in our culture, we have this thing called separation of church and state, don't we? But then to take it even further, if we're honest, we have separation of church and family, Separation of church and business, separation of church and our personal life, right? This idea of separation of church and state has been taken to the extreme where we have like our Christian life and our church life, it's over here. And then everything else is over here. But Paul and what he's explaining and what he's showing, he's like, listen, that doesn't make sense. That's that's not possible. You see, for Paul and, and any New Testament writer, This idea of having this church life over here and then a business or personal life over here doesn't exist. They're intertwined. Our faith should lead us in every avenue of life to include court cases, your business practices, your family life. I mean, everything, our faith should direct and lead us in all of those things. They're not separate, nor can they be separate. You see, our identity as believers of Jesus Christ, our identity is rooted in him. What is true of Christ is true of us. We talked all about that in our Ephesians study. We are children of the most high God. Our faith is rooted and secured in Jesus Christ. We are his children. And that precedes any other title we'll get on this earth. It precedes anything. It's greater than any degree. It's greater than any position or any title, who we are in Jesus Christ. And so whatever else our faith must direct, 
being children of God, everything else we do. But that doesn't mean things won't happen. And for now, Paul is at least acknowledging that disputes, even legal disputes, are real possibilities among believers. Things are going to happen. Paul isn't naive about the world. What we see is the church. This church is just naive about their identity in Jesus. And they're naive about how the Spirit of God works. Remember, these are the same people who were proud and boasting in their intellect. These are the same people who were getting on Paul for not being able to speak well. Paul's saying, so you can judge the apostles? You can judge your pastors? You can do all that judging about other people, but you can't even figure out your own business? You can't even deal with your own junk. Come on, church, doesn't that speak? You can't even deal with your own life. Why are you messing with everybody else? To which we all take a deep breath and it's like, all right, I don't want to go down that any further. I get it. Me neither. But the pushback is, right, and I get this. The pushback is like, well, wait, 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 wait. Come on. I mean, believers couldn't get involved in my legal dis- Believers couldn't help with this. I mean, sure they could. When you hide behind the law and lawyers, well, perhaps not. Things get complicated. But I'm quite sure people can judge if you were operating ethically and morally within our Christian values. Did you do what you said you were going to do? You're like, yeah, but it's not. No, no, listen, listen, listen. Did you do what you were supposed to do? Did you show love? Did you show grace? Did you say mercy? Did you pay them? I mean, these aren't. If we don't hide behind those things and we just kind of keep it simple, believers could easily get involved in these matters. So he's saying, rather than having leadership deal with this kind of stuff, you're taking it to the courts. He said, but look, verse 6, he said, but instead, one believer sues another right in front of unbelievers. You're taking this stuff to the courts rather than being witnesses to the world and explaining to them the the life-changing message of Jesus Christ, they're going into the world and arguing and fighting over material things. You see, back then they would have had to openly discredit the other person to win the jurors on their side. So here's a little background of the courts. We're not going to get too much detail, just a little background of what would go on back then. Back then, a lower-ranking person or someone with a, a, a smaller um, or poor person, right? Remember, there was Cassius and that kind of stuff. You could not sue someone in a higher position than you. So if you were poor, you could not sue the rich guy. The rich guy could sue you, though. And in order to be a juror, you had to be wealthy. So you'd have rich people suing poor people with all of their friends on the juror. Who do you think would win? Yeah, I mean, it's not very complicated. Their friends they just went out to lunch with would be the jurors. That's how that would work. However, you could sue somebody of the same social standing. But because they're the same social standing, and you don't have that friendship stuff because you're both friends, you know the people, you're going to courts and dealing with this, in order to win the case, you would have to be publicly shaming and discrediting the person in front of everybody else. So you were taking your brother or sister, well, it'd be brother back then, but you'd be taking them to court and just openly talking bad about them, openly explaining why they were wrong, why they're a cheater, why they're a liar, in front of non-believers, And they would just say, look at this. Either way, Paul's point is the gospel loses. You're showing the courts that the gospel doesn't work, that that it's pointless. Because remember, folks, the gospel's main message is that God is reconciling the world to himself. 
that God is reconciling us through Jesus Christ. And because God reconciles us to himself through Jesus Christ, we can reconcile with each other because of Jesus Christ. I mean, reconciliation is the main message. But if you're going to the court suing them, you're saying, hey, the gospel doesn't work for this. We need you guys who don't believe in it to help us out here. We don't have anything to offer you. you need to, we need something from you. And not only that, they're publicly shaming their brothers and sisters in Christ. And it's a thing, let's be honest, that Christians are guilty of all the time, aren't they? Politicians do it. Social media is full of it. But as Christians, we are to build up our brothers and sisters in Christ. We are to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, not tear each other apart, not beat each other up over a secondary, third level issues. It's one thing to have discussions within the church for edifying and getting some things straight and kind of growing in our faith and understanding. It's a completely different thing to go to public forums and in the public spotlight and shame other Christians or discredit other Christians. We're showing them, hey, the gospel doesn't really work here. We can't even figure out how to get along. He continues, verse 7, he says, even to have such lawsuits with one another is a defeat for you. Why not, and this is the unfun part, why not just accept the injustice and leave it at that? Why not let yourself be cheated? We're like, because Paul, I don't want to. He's like, I know. But why not let yourself be cheated instead? You yourselves are the ones who do wrong and cheat even your fellow believer. He says, the whole situation is hurting the church. You're cheating, you're cheating the community of believers. Mark Taylor says it like this. He, he sums it up for us. He says, what Paul says in essence is that even if you have been wronged, you wrong others by taking them to court. It is far better to suffer the wrong, to be cheated, than to tarnish the reputation of the gospel before an unbelieving world and wrong another believer. And we live in a world of litigation, don't we? This isn't easy to navigate, but this is the thing we need to be thinking about. These are the things we need to work through. And as Christians, especially when it comes to other Christians, we need to be very careful because Paul is pretty clear about what we shouldn't be doing as believers. One author helps us. He gives us these three questions to consider before you go to court or before you get that stuff involved. He says this. He says, is there any way the matters can be mediated outside the court system? To which Paul said, don't you have the church? Can't leaders get involved and help you all work through that? He says, will a given litigation be harmful to the Christian testimony? In other words, what do you have to go and say and do in front of a whole bunch of non-believers? Do you have to discredit? Do you have to talk bad? I mean, what does that look like? And is the aim, this is the one that's going to like hit hard if we're honest, is the aim to be personally vindicated or to settle a matter to create peace and unity? We're like, vindication. I want justice. I want to be right. But no, Paul's like, why not just be wronged? So here's how this played out a little bit in my life. Give you a couple examples. A couple of months ago, I was standing in my garage doing some work. I was dropping an engine. I wish that I was doing it. wasn't. I mean, it just makes me sound real manly, dropping an engine or something like that. I wasn't. All right, but I was in my garage doing some work. Then all of a sudden, I heard this loud bam. 
And so I just walked out front and I saw this big box truck, uh, this construction is going on my neighborhood, this big box truck pulling a trailer um, stop like a little past my driveway and my kid's basketball goal was doing this. It was waving in the wind. If you didn't know basketball goals don't wave in the wind generally, right? It's not a flag. It, was, it didn't, wasn't really hard to figure out what just happened considering it was crooked, right? I said, okay, that's, that's what happened. So um, the guys just drove off and I drove to where they were doing work. I got the company phone number and I called them. I said, hey, just to let you know, you guys just slammed on my basketball court and bent it all up. He was like, talk to the manager, manager, let me have your phone number, your information, I'll call you back. I said, okay, cool, no problem. It was an accident, I'm sure, you know, no big deal. So about a week later, I called back, said, what's going on? He's like, yeah, well, he's like, I talked to my guys. And they said they didn't do it. I was like, yeah, I mean, I hear you, but, but, but like, I, I saw it, I heard it. I mean, I, like, he stopped. I mean, it's, it's not, don't take it, like, I, he did. He was like, well, I'm sorry, our guys said they didn't do it, so you're out of luck. And I was like, no problem, I'm gonna sue you. I live, I mean, I work right next to the small claims court. You're in Surfside. Like, no matter what, your time being, like, I'm gonna win. Like, this is easy. Like, I'm just gonna sue you, that's what I'm gonna do. No problem, got this covered up, got this figured out. No problem, I got this. Then I thought about it. Is it worth the world knowing and our community knowing that the pastor of First Baptist Church is suing someone over a couple hundred bucks? Probably not. Did I want to do it? Oh, yes, I did. I wanted to so bad, but I didn't. So it's not worth it. It's not worth tarnishing the gospel, having it look petty or anything, even though I was right and I saw it. We just got to let that go and move on. And if my kids can make shots on those crooked basketball goals, then they're going to be awesome when they get a straight one, right? I try to figure out how to work this for good. Now, on the flip side, a few years ago, this has all been since I've been in South Carolina, something about South Carolina, I'm just letting you know, okay? A few years ago, I was in an accident, right? That was not my fault. It wasn't my fault. The police report said it wasn't my fault, right? So it just wasn't my fault. And we went through the insurance route to, to get my vehicle fixed, and lo and behold, the insurance company didn't want to fix my vehicle all the way. In fact, it left me without a rim. And they're like, you'll be all right. I was like, no, I mean... I need a rim. They're like, yeah, I don't know what to tell you. I'm like, hold on, I don't, I don't understand. This doesn't make any sense. Like, you, you clearly aren't fixing these things that were broken. They were like, yeah, we're not doing it. I mean, like, I, I don't know. How, I don't know if you've ever been in one of those kind of conversations with somebody where you're just like, like, hold on, like something's being dropped. Like, there must not be some understanding. So I kept calling, talking to managers, did like that. They were like, look, we're done. We're not fixing anything else. I was like, yeah, but, but, but it's broke. And so I didn't know what to do. Well, luckily for me in South Carolina, they have this thing called insurance arbitration. And so I did. I filed this thing. Now, technically, I didn't sue them because it was arbitration, okay? Like, so I, I was like, I, I didn't actually sue them. But it, I did use the court system. So I'm just being honest, like how to work through all of this. And all I did is I went to the arbitration, and in order to go in front of them, I just showed them the things that were clearly broke and the things they said they weren't going to fix. So when I went before the arbitration panel, I wasn't calling anybody a liar. If I had to take the other company to court that hit my basketball goal, I'd have to call them liars. I'd have to discredit them. It'd be my word versus their word. This was very simple. So there wasn't a personal thing. There was no attacks. It was like, here's what was broke. Here's what they said they wouldn't fix. 
Does that make sense? I'm not discrediting. I'm not tarnishing. I'm not going up there giving a bad reputation. And just to let you know, I won, right? So I'm kind of happy. I felt like a lawyer after that. That's the problem. That actually happened first. And then when the small claims court or that my basketball thing happened, I was like, look, I got this. I'm a lawyer. I know, I know how the system works. I'm 1-0. I'm about to go for it again. But as a Christian, these things can be complicated. right? They're not necessarily easy because we have court systems for a reason. But Paul says when it's civil suits and you're dealing with another person, you need to be careful the kind of light you're showing. Or even if you're dealing with another company, folks, you have to be careful what kind of testimony, how you're acting, how you're behaving, what do you got to do? And are you going to tarnish the gospel? Are we going to be another hateful, spiteful Christian standing in the limelight just slamming other people? Do we show love and grace and mercy and sometimes just accept it? And you see Paul's advice, and this is where it gets really uncomfortable because we're like, look, I'm not going to court anytime soon. I'm good. But no, this is where we just have to apply this a little bit deeper because Paul's advice goes deeper. I mean, these conclusions, to go back to the verse, says, why not just accept the injustice and leave it alone? Why not let yourself be cheated? What Paul's doing here is just simply applying what Jesus has already taught us. Do you remember these verses? Probably not. We instantly throw these verses out of our mind. They're not fun. Luke 6, look what Jesus says. Nope, I'm not singing. (laughs) That's not happening. That's not where we're going. But Jesus should be over everything. I can go ahead and just read you the verses. He says this. It's really in your Bible, I promise. Luke 6, 27 through 30. He says, but to you who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. If someone slaps you on the cheek, offer the other cheek also. If someone demands your coat, offer your shirt also. Give to anyone who asks. Jesus must not have been talking about our kids. I'm just saying, like, that's not what he means there. It can't be. He, he cannot mean that. He says, and when things are taken away from you, don't try to get them back. Rather than standing on pride, rather than lashing out, sending that text, sending that email, posting that comment, rather than proving your right and ensuring that the other person knows it, What if we just accepted it and chose to love instead? What if we just accepted it? Jesus is saying, and Paul is repeating, there's another way to live. And it doesn't mean it's going to be easy, but here's where our bottom line comes back in. You are the most like Jesus when you are wronged and do not seek retaliation or retribution, but choose to forgive. Because Jesus, while he hung on a cross and bled out, bled out for you and me, he prayed that the Father would forgive those who were doing it. He was completely innocent, but allowed himself to be killed for our righteousness. We can do this through his power when we remember some really key, really important, holistic biblical text that God will judge. Paul is very clear. Next slide. 
Remember, Paul says, Romans 12, 19 through 21, dear friends, never, we were like, yeah, I can't mean that. No, it does. Never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. And doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Do not let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. We're supposed to leave room for God to do his thing. And instead of playing the evil part, instead of fantasizing about how you're going to take him out or you're going to get it back or you're going to win that thing, instead of living in that land, he's like, no, 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 don't worry about that evil stuff. Focus on the doing good part. Focusing on how you can reflect Jesus in all of that. And then we cling to this next one, that God will use all things for what? All things? Yeah, all things. Romans 8, 28. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. You see, nobody could have thought Nobody could have came up with a crucified Messiah saving the world. The disciples didn't get it, although Jesus told them, God's plans are so much greater than ours. He can use any situation and turn any situation around and use it for his glory. And it doesn't mean we're going to like it, but are we willing to go through it? Remember Jesus's prayer in the garden was, Father, take this away if it's possible. But if not, if not, remember that if not, he prayed for his glory and his will, not his. There are times as Christians, we are going to be called, and this is not fun, this isn't popular, but it's true. There are going to be times we are called to suffer injustice, to suffer being wrong for the gospel. And are you willing to accept injustice for the gospel? Are you willing to let yourself be cheated for the gospel? We have to remember that what we do shares our testimony with the world about what we believe. And I don't know how this works in every situation. I can't tell you what to do in all of it, but we need to think through it. We need to pray through it. Remember, we see Paul in one hand when he was beaten unjustly. And they said, hey, you can just leave. Paul stood on his Roman citizenship and made him come back and apologize. Right? Paul's like, nope, you got to come apologize to me. He stood the grounds, right? But he didn't shame the gospel. Then on other hands, he, he barely made it out of a city and he just ran. He didn't stand on his rights. So this isn't necessarily just one size fits all. It's complicated like anything true. You got to work it out and flush it out and, and pray through it. But what we have to make sure we're not doing, folks, is bringing shame to the gospel of Jesus Christ when we're dealing with others, especially publicly. Are cold french fries really worth? Come on, think about how you act. Are cold french fries really worth it? Is bad customer service really worth it? Is missing a part really worth your testimony and the goodness and the greatness of Jesus Christ? Surely he's greater than cold french fries. Right? Think about the stuff we lose our minds over rather than bringing glory to God. We're bringing shame to our faith. 
And here's what I do know. I don't know how it all works, but I do know that sometimes we let our pride get in the way. We're constantly in an uproar about our rights and about being wronged. And we ruin our testimony. We bring a bad light on the gospel. We bring a bad light on our churches. In fact, we ruin all sorts of relationships over this stuff. Because isn't it true your greatest frustrations in life come from the fact that you believe you were treated badly? That somebody hurt you? That somebody betrayed you? That they wronged you? Don't your greatest frustrations come from the lies of pride? Thinking that that shouldn't happen to you, that you deserve better? I mean, don't you refuse to forgive because you filled your owed? But folks, life isn't fair. Your situation isn't fair. What you grew up with wasn't fair. The sin you struggle with isn't fair. What that other person did to you wasn't fair. But the world isn't a fair place. Being a Christian doesn't mean only fair things are going to happen. Being a Christian means we live in this broken, sinful world and unfair things are going to happen. And it's experiencing those things. It's going through the pain and the suffering and showing the hope of Jesus Christ through all of that. Saying we live in this world, but we live in, believe in something greater than this world. We're not going to let those cold, fresh fr- French fries ruin my day. Right? We're not going to, we're going to, they put, I, I asked for no ice. They put ice in it. Losing your mind, throwing it at people, right? You wanted to. Like, we just got to get over this stuff. Jesus is greater than this. And it's perhaps saying that showing love is far greater because our Savior is greater. And we can do this when we choose to believe the gospel at the deepest level of our hearts and our minds. Because the truth is, folks, we don't want fairness. Fairness sends us to hell. Grace is what saves us. And since we are not above God, because we can never pay him back, we extend grace to everyone, even if they don't deserve it, even if, they, if, if we are owed something, we accept the injustice and we take it and we just say, you know what, Jesus is greater than this and I'm going to extend his grace to others, not because we enjoy it, but because Jesus is greater. Remember, you are the most like your Savior when you are wronged. And do not seek retaliation or revenge, but choose to forgive. And in closing, I just ask you to think this through with me. Can you imagine the freedom you would experience if you stopped hanging on to every time you were wronged? Every time someone did something that was unfair and that they owe you? Can you imagine the freedom of just letting that stuff go? Not because they did anything, not because you're wrong, but because you're choosing to identify with your Savior and just forgive and show grace and love. And you realize that Jesus died for their sin too. And so you forgive. And so at a deep understanding of grace and forgiveness, we started just letting this stuff go. We stopped making a fool of ourselves. We stop posting those things and saying those things. We just let it go. Can you imagine the healing that could start 
to take place. Could you imagine the love that could start flowing out of you if we let that stuff go? That is the freedom found in the gospel. That's the freedom found in understanding grace. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great, amazing love for us. We thank you so much for the grace and mercy that you've shown us in our lives. And Father, help us bring you glory in all that we do. In our dealings with each other and especially in our business and financial matters. Help us see where we need to let go of things. Help us see where we just need to accept the injustice for the greater good of the gospel. Father, help us be the people who choose to love and forgive rather than seek retaliation and retribution. Father, we know this isn't an easy thing to do and we can't do it on our own. So we ask you to do a good work in our heart and our lives. We ask you to soften our hearts, to help us let go of and get rid of the pride that dominates and our egos that dominate. Because, Lord, our identity is found in you, so we trust in that. And we thank you. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray.